Hello, good morning. You're very welcome to the programme. Between now and nine, former rugby referee and farmer Nigel Owens on farmer protests in Wales and how badly his team might lose today. From Mariupol to Meath, on the second anniversary of war in Ukraine, we visit a refugee couple in the thick of calving. I want to begin straight away this morning, though, with a good news story. And it's one where you might have least expected it, in the area where farming and water quality meet. A few weeks ago on the programme, you might remember Dr Mary Curtin in UL saying that if Countrywide wanted to see what was possible in this area and a place where real change was actually happening, we should pay a visit to North Cork to look at the Doohallow Farming for Blue Dot Catchments Project. Now, my first reaction to this was, it's just another Cork person telling us that we should all be more like Cork people. But I was wrong. The data collected by the EPA shows that right in the middle of intensive dairy farms involved in the scheme, river water quality has improved. It has been badly broken, actually, because uh, he was working it when it was broken, so he's after wearing out... John McSweeney keeps 40 cows and has an off-farm business repairing just about anything with a motor. Today, in between calf births, it was a cement spreader. So what would you call yourself? Would you call yourself a mechanic or a farmer? You will surely do it. Never be so rude. I know, I would. No, never be so rude. Talk to me about the Blue Dot scheme and what it was that persuaded you that it was a good idea for you to get involved. It was as easy to persuade me because um, I've been a progressive farmer all along. I was trying to get every inch I could out of the land and try and get as much as I could out of it. I had achieved that and as getting older, it was the other direction I wanted to go in. I wanted to come back a small bit maybe and put back things the way they were. What was the risk on this farm then that you were trying to address? We're in we're in Lismire, North Cork, and, and this part of Lismire, there's quite heavy soils. That means that the, the soils themselves are poorly draining. And what happens then when you get rain is a lot of that rain is going to run off the surface. Mike O'Connor runs the Doohallow Farming for Blue Dot catchments, which introduced mostly nature-based buffers between manure and rivers on 95 farms. Farmers will notice themselves, they'll know how does the water flow off their fields. It, it generally finds its way into a kind of a pathway that runs down mm-hmm. through the fields mm-hmm. and probably enters the river at one point. And we're targeting that path then. And what that does is it allows us to put the right measure in the right place, basically. And what tools do you have in your toolbox for doing that? So we're using different kind of buffer measures. So we, what we've done here actually is we've put in a hedgerow going through a flow pathway. So that's intercepting the water mm-hmm. as it flows through the fields. And then again after that, where the water actually enters the ditch, we've put a small block of trees. Okay. So it's a buffer measure and it's important. I suppose the two, the, the, a couple of the most important ingredients we have is air and water. We can't live without either one or the other. Definitely as we've got more intensive, it does bring harm with it. And did that not sit easy with you? As I got older, I did. It's a fright to see different birds. I remember long ago, um, you would hear the curlow going up the valley and hear roaring. It's gone, I haven't heard the curlow in 20 years. I've seen butterflies, different types of them, gone. It, it don't sit easy with me to think I played a part in it. 
we'll all look back over life and we'll say we would have done things differently. And that's you, me, everybody. If I had another chance, I definitely would look at things differently. What is surprising is how relatively little time it has taken to see improvements in water quality since the ponds and the hedgerows have been introduced. From when we started the project to when we finished, four water bodies have improved. Three have gone from good to high status and one has gone from poor to moderate. So the river that we're on at the moment has actually gone from poor to moderate status. And that's in the space of how many years? That's within two monitoring periods, so about five years. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's far above, it's above the, the, the national average like that water quality is, is improving at that, at that level here. So it is a good news story. There are good things happening. Has it changed the conversation around here and the way that people talk to each other about water quality and making sure that they're not polluting? It's a funny thing. People are divided in it. Depends where you are. If you have a lot of borings, you can be between a rock and a hard place. If you have to turn in 100,000 a year into the bank and you have no repayments, there are two different places to be. There's pressures. Uh, you might have a choice. Expand the herd, drive on. Depends where you are. Depends what you're at. It depends the place you're in. Some people would, uh, would agree with my system or what I do, and more people would completely disagree with it. What way does the conversation go now? I mean, if you saw a fella out spreading slurry on a day like today in rain like that, do you say to yourself, I don't know what his situation is, I don't know what his repayments are, I'm going to mind my own business and keep my head down? Or do you have a conversation where you say, that might not be the best way to go about doing this? Right, when I see it happening, it's definitely wrong. I don't like it, but I keep my mouth shut. Mm. What can you do? These are your friends, your neighbours, who don't get involved. If you're looking after your own patch, you know you can say to other people, you can do this differently. You don't have to be out there spreading on a wet day. I agree with that, but it's going to take time. I totally agree with you. But do you see that change happening? I can. Right. I take another one. The smoking ban. That's all very normal now, not smoking in the pub. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. I remember people saying when the smoking ban was brought in, not a chance in the world am I going to... I'm going to smoke inside the pubs. There's no one going to tell me whether I can smoke here, there or wherever. But eventually it came in. And this will come. It will come in time. But it's going to be a slow burner. I wanted to see how the scheme was working on a more intensive dairy operation. So Mike took me 20 minutes down the road to Tyke Buckley and Adele Keating's farm. What's that pond doing, Adele? So it's a sediment pond that we installed possibly three years ago and there's two chambers and the first chamber is to take... Adele's farm is in a different catchment to John's. Here, in the last five years, the water quality has improved from good to high, according to the EPA. Do you know that Brad Pitt movie, A River Runs Through It? Yeah. That's your farm, isn't it? Without Brad. No, no we insult have... to your husband. <laughs> we have a stream um, going through the middle of the farm and then at the very north of the farm then there's the river, which the stream is okay. a tributary But of. steep hills on either yeah, side. Yeah, there's no flat fields, it's all sloping. And you don't Manure gathering on the roadways as the cows came in for milking was getting washed into the stream. There's two roadways coming down and it's just like where all the water would have gathered before and you'd have water, sediment, muck, dung, everything. So And all above the, the stream, stream here. Yeah, yeah. So, so everything was presumably going into the stream. 
yeah, it, it was just a big, massive build-up of muck and dirt. We changed the camber of the roadway so that the, any, any water that was coming down the hill was actually going into the field. So our road, all the roadways are now slanted into the field rather than towards a drain, okay. which would have been traditionally the way things were done. There's a caveat to the success on this and neighbouring farms. What works here might not work as well on farms with different soil types. Also, alongside the improvement in the water, there's another thing that is fascinating. Getting the river to high-quality status has created a new positive social pressure that's changing the conversation around water. Like along this actual catchment area, there's a few of us in the scheme. So for everyone, for the first to work, everyone has to, you know, behave themselves, as they say, and like do do what's right and put in. And, and you see, we all went into the scheme at a similar time and we all implemented the measures. So when you're going to put in the, like when you do the work, you want it to work. When you have that kind of implicit understanding that if you do go spreading on a rainy day or in the closed season you're not just misbehaving, you're screwing it up for everybody else. That's it. When you do something right and, it, and, and make improvements, you want to shout about it and you would get really frustrated and annoyed with people when they do make a mess. Or like, you know, if you had 10 or 90% of people doing it right and 10% then making the mess. But that impacts us because we're down, we might be downstream from the person. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that people play ball and do it right. Is that a change as in five or six years ago, if you saw somebody misbehaving, would you just sigh heavily and mind your own business? Yeah, you would be annoyed at people if, if, if you saw them doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, but necessarily going and, right. like, I wouldn't personally report somebody. You know? I'm not even suggesting that you would report somebody, but that... you challenge in, them. In, in, or the, just next, say to in them, the next conversation them. that yeah. you have, you'd say, maybe you need more storage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, possibly, yeah, that you could do that, yeah. I think that that things are changing, that people are having that conversation, that they are definitely... I suppose anyone, your railroad family, uh, they they get out of control, they do things wrong, how do we bring them back? Coaxing, gently, Mm -hmm. keep talking to them. Wagging the finger doesn't work. No, no, the beach stick won't work. Definitely won't work. But if fellas look over the hedge into John McSweeney's place and they see what he's doing in the blue dot scheme, they say, God, maybe I should be doing that as well. Yeah, that can happen. The more people that start getting involved in these things, eventually you bring them, it, it comes along. If we bring them that way, it's definitely going to be better for the environment. No question about it. But it also must be good for the farmer. He must leave, he must rear his family, he must run a business. That has to be part of it. John McSweeney there in Lismire near Duhallow. Eddie Burgess is a river catchment specialist in Chagask, the government's agri-science advisory body. Good morning to you, Eddie. When we talked yesterday, you were surprised at how well Duhallow had done in improving water quality in such a relatively short space of time. Um, Surprise might might be a little bit overstating it, but certainly very glad to hear it. Um, And with river water quality... Um, uh, there's different aspects to water quality and with rivers and fresh water um, usually it's phosphorus and sediment that that, uh, is is the issue causing problem and they can be quick fixes not always 
Um, if you have very high soil fertility levels for phosphorus and, and uh, there's high buildup, it could be a long protracted period to bring them back down to a level that would be less likely to lose phosphorus. But where it's a point source, where it's runoff, where it's in the examples that were described in, in the conversations that, that were just played there, mm. um, they can be nipped in the bud. Um, if extra storage for slurry is needed to allow people to spread at the right time, once it's built, it's built once and you have the problem fixed okay. and from oh. then you can move on and, and rivers and the biology in the river will respond very quickly. And, and there are river catchments around the country where we have seen improvements like that. And how easily transferable is what are the successes in Duhallow to the rest of the country or does the soil type make it unique? Um, well, the soil type is important when you want to put the right measure into the right place. And maybe the soil type into hollow is unique, but the process of putting the right measure in the right place is not. And we can put the right measure in the right place and improve river water quality quickly. There are quick fixes there that that can be improved. There are other aspects to water quality that will be a a, a slow burn and will take longer. Okay, but. As far as soil types go, as far as different catchments go, we can fashion bespoke solutions and replicate Duhallow's success elsewhere. We can, and that is happening. Um, the the Duhallow uh, Blue Dot project has, has evolved out of a, a IRD, had a life, Duhallow Life project down there, and they have been working with farmers on the community for a long base, uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, and there has been good community engagement and I'd say that the overall um, desire from, from all the people living in the community to try and pull water quality up has, has evolved. It has had funding through the, the life and uh, the life funding. And, and what's the interesting EIP. there is that there's relatively little money for the success that they've gotten. One and a half million spread over 95 farms over the course of five years. Average payments of somewhere in the region of 1900 euro per farm per year. And that has moved four river bodies, four water bodies up a notch in that short space of time. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, and and I, th- I think that uh, the knowledge of that improvement and how it has been achieved has informed um, the decision to uh, approve funding for a Waters EEIP, where 50 million has, has been approved to, imp- uh, to implement bespoke measures across the country in, in areas designated as in need for improvement. Um, so all things being equal with that money and with that s- accumulated body of scientific knowledge that you have now, you should be able to see results. But to what extent is the behaviour change, the cultural nut, the harder one to crack? Uh, there is no doubt the behavioural change and the cultural um, feeling on it is is by far the most difficult part of catchment science to try and uh, to try and pull around. But but it is happening. I've been working in in this topic and water quality for over 15 years now. And the desire from the farming community and particularly from the most intensive grass-based farmers, the derogation farmers, which are predominantly dairying, the desire from that sector to improve water quality now is at a level that's not seen in other sectors and at a level that has never been seen before. Now, it's because let's, yeah, let's be honest about this now. I mean, altruism might be the motivation, but self-interest is pretty powerful as well. I mean, the thought oh. of losing that derogation should be pushing anybody to embrace this. Uh, and and that, that's completely what it is. 
Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, and those farmers will be very upfront and say that with you. But it is there. It exists. And we have an opportunity to use that now to get similar benefits to what has taken um, a longer team in Duhallow, but is, is possible and can be and can be done um, uh, successfully. I think what I took away from Duhallow was that success breeds success. Where a farmer's actions had improved water quality, they were very reluctant to allow others to come and mess that up. So I wonder, do you think that success could snowball into behaviour change? Oh, I, I think it will, and, and uh, farmers are not new to that. Um, many farmers are in discussion groups and for production type um, metrics that they have on their farm, they use peer pressure to see things success. And farmers, um, <laughs> peer pressure to, to try and lift water quality, I think e- is, is equally as uh, applicable and, and can be seen. But... For, for rivers like you were seeing in that part of the country, it does only take one farmer doing things badly to make a mess of the whole river catchment. Um, maybe one in 40 and, and, and it could pull down the okay. whole boat. But the tools are in the toolbox. Yeah. Are you optimistic? I am optimistic. Duhallow is not alone. Um, the average water quality across the country didn't change uh, between the last two reports from the EPA, half of the water bodies are, are still um, reaching the Water Framework Directive requirement at high and good, half are not, uh, between moderate, poor or bad. Within that, uh, there are a number of rivers that have also seen significant improvements. We, we, nitrate in our estuaries is a different story. It hasn't fallen off a cliff edge, but it's not where we'd like it to be. It's better than it was 30 years ago. Um, extreme weather that, that we've seen over the last couple of years has an influence on nitrate being lost and nitrate in estuaries is not as local. Um, f- a farmer in Oak Park in Carlow um, might be having an influence in nitrate that isn't seen until you get down to the Barrow Estuary 100 miles away and it's probably a bit more difficult to have practice change on something that's influencing something that's not local. All right, Eddie, thank you very much for that. You're going to stay with us because we're going to be turning to rugby a little bit later on in the programme, as still to come this morning, Nigel Owens, the rugby ref turned Hereford farmer, will be talking protest and the small matter of that match later on today. Email countrywide at rte.ie Countrywide on RTE Radio 1. 51551 for your texts and Paul says I could listen to John McSweeney's accent all day a mighty man to be changing as he is and to have the ability to do it do you know what Paul you're absolutely right I almost gave the entire programme this morning over to that interview that I recorded with John McSweeney a mighty man indeed the RNLI marks 200 years of the lifeboat service shortly and one of the oldest west coast stations which will mark its 100th birthday in 1920 since 1927, is the Aran Island all-weather lifeboat. Among its crew is volunteer Daniel O'Connell, who had no seagoing experience before he signed up 10 years ago. Being part of the RNLI service on the island is a family affair, as Lorna Siggins discovered when she spoke to Daniel and his wife, Lena. Their children, Oliver and Owen, told Lorna about the time that Oliver fell out of their treehouse and needed the RNLI boat. (laughs) 
With apologies to any lifeboat crew listening, that's a test. But when Daniel O'Connell hears the pager on the Iron Island of Inishmore, he calmly picks up his keys, goes out the door and heads for the lifeboat station at the harbour. There was a time when several of the shouts involved members of his family, as his daughter Olive and his younger son Owen recall. So I'd basically just gone up to get something. And for some reason, I forgot to go down the ladder and I just walked off the edge of the jails. We had one of those little wooden ladders at the time and I just walked out of it, fell down and my hand went into the dirt. Like all the adrenaline rushed through my head so I couldn't feel the pain. And were you there, Owen? Uh, Well, I was up on top of the treehouse when it happened. She's she's fine, but everyone else in the family is like, oh, oh, this is so intense, this is so intense. I was, oh my God. So you kept your cool? Everybody else was more worried than I was. The thing I was most worried about is they put a hole in my iron jersey. That was all that I was worried about. And then you went on the lifeboat? Yeah, I was brought out on the lifeboat to the hospital. I have to say, it was a very calm and quick journey from Iron into Russellville. Yeah. And then you went to the hospital? I think it was the day after Christmas. Two, two days after two Christmas. Two days after. Yeah, I just can't believe how close it was to Christmas. I remember going into the hospital and seeing her hand. Oh my God. Oh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. So, Jack, you also have your own experience of a lifeboat. I don't know how much you would remember, but maybe you could... Tell me what you know. Yeah, I went out on lifeboat around Christmas time years ago because I had tonsillitis. I really don't remember a lot of it. I remember more of the hospital than I do going out on lifeboat. And it was Christmas Day. Christmas Day when right. we went in. Yeah. That was my first interaction with the lifeboat. He had suffered from tonsillitis a few times before then, but this one had progressed to the point where his airway was closing up, so it was just okay. We get him in now. They'll put IV anti- antibiotics onto him and get it cleared up really quick before it becomes really serious. We went down to Marion on Christmas Day afternoon. That's Marion Broderick, yeah. yeah. And she's like, yeah, we need to get you out of here. So the pages were set off and down we went. It was really impressive actually because 10 lads dropped everything that day on Christmas Day to turn up. It was just amazing to see. And then they were really good to us on the boat and they looked after Jack and kept him amused and stuff and yeah, we got in, so there was a good swell in it. So the the thing is, distraction is a great thing on the lifeboat. So if you're bringing in a casualty, if you can distract them with something, it takes their mind off the sea altogether. So that's what they did. Because you might have been running a temperature, were you? Oh, there was a high temperature as well, yeah. 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 No, they were very professional about it. Mm-hmm. And it they was were lovely. Really nice. It was just yeah. nice and smooth. Yeah, yeah, there was no issues. That's a Christmas to remember anyway. <laughs> it, it is, is. Yeah. yeah. It definitely is. So you decided then you'd like to volunteer? Yeah. About a couple of years after then, I signed up and joined the lifeboat. Just coming up on 10 years now. And how does that fit in with your job? You work in the recycling centre. Yeah, we don't get a whole lot of calls during the day. But when we do, we don't have an issue with just dropping everything and going. Like I've turned up two calls in the skip truck, the teleporter. Every vehicle we have, I've been to the lifeboat in them. We never have an issue with that. Yeah, we have great flexibility. We have a good setup, so... 
So Lena, there's a big family involvement here because you're doing the communications for the lifeboat station, which dates back to 1927. Yeah, 27, which yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, no, it's great. So you're going to have your own big anniversary coming up fairly, fairly yeah, soon. Yeah, we're lucky because it's like your own ambulance. I mean, having experienced it firsthand, the lads and ladies will just give up their time. We're very lucky, thank God. Yeah. yeah. We go to the other islands for fundraisers and you get to meet lots of people. There's so many people that do amazing volunteer work themselves, fundraisers. It's brilliant, you know, and it's good if you can give back. Thank God we're all healthy and it's good to be able to give a little bit back, you know, yeah. especially when a small community, everything is community based. And if you don't help out, sure, it's important to give back. So what sort of shouts have you been on? I mean, you, you've saved lives. We have, yeah. Everything from tow-ins to search and rescues. The most memorable one, and one people might know a lot about, would be the paddleboarders. And that was a massive search. Right, like, that was August 2020. Yeah. Cousins from Galway, Sarah, yeah, Feeney and Ellen. That Blair. went out from Furbo Beach, and it was beautiful, lovely sunny day. It was absolutely gorgeous. The wind just went from kind of a southwest to a northeast. And it's so easy to get pushed offshore with a breeze. And if you're on a paddleboard, you move really, really fast. After a while then, I could feel myself getting cold in the, the gear. So I thought, hang on a second now. I have a grab bag with everything that we got from our new kit. So I put that on, the whole lot. And my God, the difference it made. Like we were able to stay out for all, the whole night. And that night was unreal because what started out as a bit of a breeze and a bit overcast turned into thunder and lightning. There was wind, there was rain, like everything was thrown at us and at those girls that night. So... How did you feel when you heard they oh, were found? stop. I get more emotional. The further away from it I get, the more emotional I get about it because, yeah, oh, sorry. It was... I think we all cried. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah, very emotional. People don't realise how big that search turned into be. Yeah, nighttime searches are completely different to daytime searches. A nighttime search, you have your searchlight and the weather conditions that night were so bad. It would be similar to holding a candle in front of a mirror reflecting on the water. And it's such a small area that you have to concentrate on. So you're focused on the sea the whole time. You can't take your eye off it. You're switched on the whole time. You can't get distracted by Anthem. So would you both like to work with the lifeboat? Would you like to volunteer? Yeah. I wish it was younger. I wish it was like maybe like 15 or 16 when you could join, but it's 18. When we started the voyage, there was just me and you. Well, that was all quite dramatic, wasn't it? That's the O'Donnell family talking to Lorna Siggins on Inish Moore. 200 years of the RNLI. More information, rnli.org. I am joined now by, let me be presumptuous, Countrywide's unofficial Welsh farming correspondent, former international rugby referee Nigel Owens, nowadays a Hereford farmer. A very good morning to you. <laughs> good morning to you as well. Um, I promise that I will listen with an open mind to whatever it is that you have to say about Wales's chances at Lansdowne Road later on today. But um, <laughs> can we talk a little bit first about what it is that is happening in Welsh farming? You're all quite upset. Yes, well, as you know, as, you, as you're seeing all over, all over Europe, really, um, and, and, and Wales as well, no, no, no different. Um, <laughs> 
the main issues at, at the moment there is that the farmers um, um, are very unhappy with the with the, with the SFS, which is the single farm payment scheme, which is um, replacing the old uh, farm subsidy um, of what is required for them to be able to to claim that single farm payment through the scheme that the government put in place. Um, now there's a there's a bigger picture. There's a bit of a cultivation of things Just as well. Let's explain um, to people, Nigel, that in order to be eligible yeah. for subsidy payments, farmers must give over 10% of their land to trees and 10% to wildlife habitat. Yeah, that's it. And I think what people probably need to understand as well is that farmers um, have no issues with uh, changing the way that they've done things because they, they have to. We all have to change the way that we've done things in order to, to help with the, with the fight against climate change. And a lot of what is in the proposal of the SFS is is, is good. A lot of it is, is good and the change needs to happen. But there is a part of it then which is which is just not fair, which is the 10% recover, uh, who can claim it, how you can claim it. If you're a tenant farmer, you've got an agreement that you can't plant trees and you're not eligible. Uh, and obviously the 10% wide live as well. So if you're basically looking at say you've got 200 acres of, of good quality food producing land um you're going to have to give 20 acres of that up to to um to tree planting and, and um, is it is, uh, it, and is it as bold as that nigel that if you don't give over that 20 percent of land you're not going to get your subsidies that is what the discussion is at the moment is and that's what the farmers are worried about um and are not happy with and, and quite rightly so as well so like farmers are not we are not against the change we're not against contributing and helping with the change against climate climate change we have we all have to do that but i think it's the way that it's being done and what is being putting into place is, is just not fair and it will they, they made um they asked an independent um mission into this to look at, at the effects of, of if they did this and the effects are around sort of five and a half thousand jobs would be lost within the agricultural community uh, in Wales because a lot of food production would, would be lost. And, you know, the world is a growing population, Wales is a growing population, and people will need, will need food. So it'll be, it's going to be mm. a huge knock-on effect, really. So that's, that's what's built. And, and obviously what is the background of that as well is that there's issues with the ongoing, with TBs on, is on the rise in Wales again. We're just going around in circles. You know, the government don't seem to be listening. Yes. Um, I've been, the I've been so reading, a lot of things building up. I've been reading about TB now so widespread that you're saying it's not just a matter of when a farm gets an outbreak, um, but sorry, not a matter of if a farm will get an outbreak, but when it's going to be hit with an outbreak. Yeah, it is, and that's 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 what it is like, you know, and that's what it feels like, and, and the huge worry about that. I worry. I, I haven't had TB, but again, as you said, you know, it, it's just, it, you're worried because when when you're going to get it, if you're going to get it, and it, it's a huge strain on 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 a farming family and mental health wise as well, and obviously, you know, the cruelty to, to okay. the animals involved as well. So the main issue is that farmers have to realise that we have to change the way things. We have to deal with within the the. the the cattle and there are things that we need to do to be better at that but what the government don't seem to be listening is unless you deal with the other sources which is in the wildlife particularly in, in badgers and deers as well unless you're going to deal with it in the wildlife as well then you're just going to be around in a continuing circle okay. so there's a lot of frustration been building up over, over a few years Indeed TB is something that we're going to turn our minds to on next week's Countrywide but can we for the moment turn our attention to some more pleasing thoughts namely Warren Gatland going back to Cardiff from Dublin with his tail between his legs later on today how likely is that? <laughs> 
Well, look, um, I think no matter what team uh, will play <laughs> will play against Ireland, particularly in Dublin at the moment, I'm, I'm going to be up against it because Ireland probably at the moment take away the World Cup. Um, but Ireland, I would say at the moment, are, are probably the best team best team in the world. You could argue where they are because obviously the, the World Cup winners and New Zealand beat them as well. That becomes a different discussion. But but at the moment, I would say the way they're playing, they're, they're, they're a damn good side. And I would say they're probably the best in the world at, at, at the moment. And um, But we're not know, resting on our laurels. We're not resting on our laurels going up against Wales because that would always oh, be a mistake. Not, no. uh, if damage is to be done to the Irish team, where is it going to come from today? Well, we're just going to they've just got to up their game. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of youngsters in that team. You know, we, we probably should have beaten Scotland. We we should have beaten England as well. Really, um, we we didn't, but we we could have and probably should have. Um, so there's a lot of talent down, and they they've just got to up their game. They've just got to well, they've just got to somehow do to Ireland what Ireland do to the other teams, and, and that's not to let them have the ball, particularly in your own 22. You make those mistakes, and once Ireland are in your 22, very very rarely do Ireland leave your 22. Uh, without scoring some form of, of points. Mm. And that's what the Wales have got to do. They've really got to cut down on, on the mistakes, keep the possession themselves and prevent Ireland from, from doing which is their strength. But Ireland at the moment, it's just a, it's just a, a brilliant side. They're a complete side. It's, just, it's you know, you just wonder where where there is a chink in their armour. <laughs> I don't know where that is. And that's the problem. Um I have held on to a man called Eddie Burgess, who hails from Tullow. Uh, he's not just a river catchment expert, but he's also uh, coaches the girls under 14 team there. Eddie, you have a message from Sean O'Brien, Tullow's most famous son, perhaps, for Nigel. Yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think Sean reckons that his Herefords might be a class above yours, Nigel. That's <laughs> Ooh, them's fighting words. You, you, you tell you tell Sean O'Brien when he was on the field, no matter how good he was, and he was good. Uh, I was always in charge because I had the whistle. And tell him if we go to the show ring, that my heritage will be in charge as well. I think Sean would welcome that challenge. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. How how is how is uh, carving going? Yeah, we we have as well. We had a, a, little, a little bunch of about six calves um, late December, early January. That there's two due now in a couple of weeks, but the main the main block then of about sort of eighteen Herefords then are due in uh, in April. So uh, yeah, so it'll be busy time now in the next couple of months. Would you swap it? Would you go back to refereeing at any stage, or are you a happy farmer? Oh no, I I, I, I you know I finished at the right time. I think, and, and you know, I, I never thought I would say this. When people ask you, do you miss it? I, I honestly don't. I loved it when I did it, and I would change one thing. But uh, no, I don't miss it one bit. I just I just love being 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 on the farm. You know, um, having to to deal with with the Herefords is, is much okay. more of a pleasure and easier than dealing with the likes of Sean O'Brien. And, and presuming that you're going to be watching today um, with with your hands over your face or over your eyes, perhaps, would you give me a prediction for the score? Yeah, look, it's going to be a tough one, I think. I think Wales, they, they could win, but they're, they're going to have to be special today. Um, I think Ireland by around by around eight points, I'd say. Probably, I would say, go, I'd go for I'd go for 24-16. Is that eight points difference? We're very good at maths. Yes, it is. 20, 24-16. 24-16, very good. Nigel Owens, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to us this morning. As you have been hearing throughout the morning's news bulletins, it is two years today since Russia invaded Ukraine. That has scattered six million Ukrainians across Europe and a further eight million within Ukraine. 
and 104,000 Ukrainians are living here now. Some have been taken in by Irish farm families, families like Jair and Adrienne Cook from Robinstown, County Meath. In July 2020, Zakhar, Violette and their nine-year-old son Timor arrived from Mariupol to stay on the farm. Despite having no agricultural background, Zakhar now helps on the farm. Timor feeds the calves in between school and swimming classes. Brenda paid them a visit in the calf shed this week. Oh, no. Just born this morning at five o'clock. Oh, wow. Tim, will we put him into this pen? I think we should. Lovely Charlie heifer calf. Do you like him, Tim? Yes. for that calf? Tim, you're really busy here. What do you like about the farm? Milk and cows go to get cows, but not no, not in the winter, because cows already in here. Some very lively calves here in the calf rearing shed. Adrian and Ger Cook. Tell me a little bit about the farm first, uh, Ger. What kind of a farm is it? It's a dairy and dry stuff. We, we, we rear all our calves to beef, so it's dairy and beef. What time did you, were you calving at this morning? Oh, five o'clock, Brenda. We checked the cameras, no calf, and within 15 minutes we had uh, a showerly calf. Yeah. A live calf. It's really good. Take me back, Ger, to what made you want to do this in the first place, to take in a family from Ukraine. Yeah, well, Brenda, look at uh, I was listening to it on the radio, and it was, it was bothering me a lot that this, this was happening out there. And there was appeals out there for families to, to host uh, Ukrainian families and I thought about it for a couple of days. I was here on my own on the farm. You know, it just kept coming back to me every couple of hours. I'd think about it again and I'd say, we'll have to think about this. And, and so I decided that we'd have a little meeting and see whether we should go with this or not. So we sat down and we all had to be same wavelength in order for it to work. Nobody made a definite decision that night. It went on for a couple of days and we thought about it and we came back to it again. And then we said, yes, we're going to go with this. I had a granny flat, was in use up until uh, August 2019. My father was living in it. He passed away, sadly he passed away. And it was lying idle and indeed... I wasn't inclined to go into that part of the house, the, the, the granny flat. I just, I felt it hard to go in. When this opportunity came up, I thought maybe this would be the thing to do with the granny flat. So really for you around that time, the farm was a quieter place as well without your dad. Patrick is his Patrick, name, Patrick, yeah. Yeah. without his presence. It was, yes. it was yeah, very, it was. very, very quiet. Yeah. Uh, and I found that, and I'm certain sure... Quite a lot of farmers, like myself, it's a long day, maybe don't see anyone all day. Like years ago, there was even sales reps coming in, and they're not even coming in now. Most farmers are in purchasing groups, and they don't even have sales reps coming in. So the day starts and finishes with nearly you, you on your own. So now it's totally different. Adrian and I have this Ukrainian family with us. They have their own space. We have our own space. We work together then in between. Oh, Gerald, I see new baby calf. Yes, a new new Shirley calf born this morning at five o'clock. 
Oh, brilliant. <laughs> They're so cute. Coming here from Ukraine with my family, in this farm we are healing. Back up in the house, Violet tells me a little bit more about herself, Sakar, and their son, Tim. So we're from Mariupol. When war started, our city was first who have fight. So we live in the city without electricity, without water, without heating, without food, without anything. We live in a very hard decision, to be honest, uh, to live. But we decided for our son, it's better to go somewhere, new life. I've tried to understand. How we survive. How you survive, yeah. I can explain. We just want to live. I have a son and I need to be strong. And my husband need to be strong. You see, my son, he's happy, yeah? Yeah. Because he not feel dangerous. Because we was calm. When bombing is coming, we hiding in bathroom. Because bathroom in apartments is most uh, safe room. And if we hear, we just say, Tim, we go to bathroom. No panic, easy. I hope he not remember. And can I ask about your lives back in Mariupol before the war? Mm-hmm. Was it good? I'm a methodologist in Mariupol High Educational School. Before the war, Mariupol was a brilliant city. It was very, very beautiful. It's city near Azov Sea. So in summertime, we always go to beach. We have many friends. So you came to Ireland. Yes. You eventually ended up on the farm. What did you do in between? Where did you go? First, we go to City West in Dublin. We have temporary protection. After this, we go to Navan. How long did it take to feel safe, I suppose? Probably several days. Two, three days we just sleep. I believe that it's good for my son. I want uh, for my son that he live and not survive anymore. Back outside, heading towards the chicken pen. And look at Tim on the slide there. Yes, we have a swing and a slide, and it was here vacant. It was all gone mouldy and everything, and it was great to see somebody back swinging and sliding on. It has been so easy with, with Sakar, Tim and, and Violet that like time has just moved on and we really haven't and noticed it. And they've m- slotted in so well into, yeah. into country living and country life. The granny flat was vacant and it was great to see new life in it. That's the biggest thing that I've got out of it, that we now have what was vacant being used and being used in, a, in the correct manner. And it's also a, a nice feeling to know that we have somebody that's been less fortunate than ourselves and have come from a war-torn country. We've shared a home and our life and everything with them, so I think everybody is happy. They mean for me what uh, Gerald and Adrian do for us. Nobody never do. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I'm really sent for this, uh, for our lives, for team's life. That so they so kind, it's heal us. I'm not think about what happened in past. I'm seeing future. <laughs> <laughs>
Violet Oliver in Robinstown in County Meath. One of six million similar stories now scattered across Europe two years on. That is our lot for today on the Countrywide team. Caro Hare, Amandine Paso-Devine and Brenda Donoghue produced. Sinead Mooney's on the way with your playback. Have a great weekend. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player.